Let's turn to the book of Romans. We're going to talk about uh, don't be ignorant of the end times. And we'll find that many people, they are ignorant of the end times. I'm turning to mine real time like you're turning to yours. Okay, so we start with this. I love this. I don't know where I found this, but if you were waiting for a sign, this is it. Jesus was asked, hey, what, what do we look for? And he said, well, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. We've had two world wars. We've had several wars since then. There'll be earthquakes. We have had major earthquakes. There will be pestilences. We now have COVID-19 and a new variant that just came out from Africa. Uh, but the newest thing that maybe you've seen the, the news flashes or the news commercials, it's on a worldwide currency, not based on U.S. gold, but a new worldwide currency, and you've seen the, the movie stars promoting this and everything, we are moving towards the end times. Now, I don't want to get rebuked by Jesus. I don't think anybody does. But there's two guys in the book of Luke. Luke 24, it's the last chapter in the gospel. And they're walking on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus joins them. He goes, hey, what are you guys so bummed out about? So I've been watching you. You're kind of down. You're sad. What's up? And they looked at him like, what? Are you the only guy that doesn't know what's going on in Jerusalem? He, says, he goes, what things? And what about Jesus? We were hoping he was the Messiah, but he was crucified. Even now some women claim that they see him resurrected, and we don't know what's going on. And get this, Jesus rebuked them. Now this is, a, to them, they don't recognize him at first, He's a complete stranger and rebukes them. See, if Jesus ever looks at you and says, Oh, foolish ones, that's a rebuke. Oh, foolish ones. And notice that slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. So, oh, I like the part about the angels appearing and glory to God in the highest. I like the part, you know, like other things that the prophets have spoken. But he said, you're slow to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. So at that point, he expounded to them, it says in Luke 24, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. The greatest sermon of all times that we have no record of what he said. But the thing is, when it comes to the subject of last days or end times, I feel there are still many people who are slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have said. We're going to see and hopefully make sure we're not one of them now, uh, there's three areas the Apostle Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant in addressing the New Testament church. And often, these are the three areas people are really ignorant in. So the first one is the gifts of the Spirit. So he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, listen, I, I, I don't want you to be ignorant in the need for the spiritual gifts or the use of the spiritual gifts. Meaning, every believer has at least one spiritual gift. You don't come to church, you are the church. Not individually, but as you come together, he likens us to a body. And he says, like the body has nose and eyes and ears. You need all the parts. You don't have all the parts. You are part of it. And as we come together, we participate, we grow together, and we reach this world for Jesus Christ. But so many people are ignorant. No, no, I just show up at church. Now, the second thing is, I don't want you to be ignorant of the rapture and what happens to believers who, don't, who are dead before the rapture. And yet so many people are ignorant of this. 
Is the word rapture even in the Bible? We're going to get to that this morning. The third thing is what we have this morning, the role of the nation Israel and what the nation Israel plays in these last days. People are so ignorant of it. My mom, my Catholic mom, told me decades ago, she said, Mike, it's all about Israel. It focuses on the nation as I was shocked, but she's right on. So this morning we'll see that God is not done with the nation Israel. So we're in chapter 11, and to kind of capsulize where we've been so far, he said, God is using the Gentiles to stir up jealousy in the Jews. The Jews aren't believing in Christ, so God says, oh, let me stir up some Gentiles, some non-Goyim, or some Goyim, non-Jews who, who don't believe. They're disgusting. They're so sinful. And God saves them and stirs them up. He says, God's using them to make the Jews jealous. Remember, I, I likened it to Vanessa, my daughter, when she was growing up. She didn't want to ride her bicycle without the training wheels. Have you ever been there? Kind of liked her safety. So then her friend, Jamie Fitzsimmons, comes over the house one day, and her bike didn't have training wheels. And Vanessa goes, wait, she saw her friend without the training wheels, and she goes, I should be doing that. And in the same way, the Jews saw the Gentiles getting saved, and they go, oh, we, should be do we should be getting closer to God like they are. So Paul says, did you mention Gentiles? Gentiles, that's my ministry. That's my area of service. That's, that my gift is in that. And he says, I magnify my ministry. It's the opposite of what so many... He goes, you don't have to beg me to do this. You don't have to twist me or make me feel guilty. I want, this is what God made me for. I, I, I'm, I'm dialed in to do this. This is what I'm all about. So I, I, I just would love to see the Christian community at large have that attitude. <laughs> you don't have to beg me to serve my gift. This is my God-given gift. I will be fulfilled when I am fulfilling my God-given gift. So Paul said, you don't have to beg me to do that. Now what he does, well, we're picking it up right after that. He said, hey, listen, you need perseverance, not pride. He doesn't quite quote the thing, by perseverance the snail reached Noah's ark, but it's the idea. So we're going to read Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 16. So he had just said in verse 13, I magnify my ministry. And I'm reading from the New King James Bible. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, don't be proud, don't boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember, you don't support them. The root supports you. You will say then, branch, see, here's the proud. Branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. He's already addressing people who believe that God was done with the nation Israel and turned, turned his full attention to the, the Gentiles. So well, well, well said, but because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fell, severity, he broke off those branches. Towards you, goodness, he grafted you in. 
if you continue, if you persevere in his goodness. Otherwise, you, you will also be cut off, and they also, if they don't continue in unbelief, but they believe again, they'll be grafted back in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted into the, to, um, contrary to nature, into a cultivated tree. So he's saying, you taken from the Gentile world and you're grafted into the Jewish world, the cultivated olive tree? How much more will those who are natural branches be grafted into their olive branch? I'm telling you, this is very easily cleared up. You're going, wait, what is all this about grafting? He's, he's basically saying, your pride doesn't make sense to me. You're proud about the wrong thing. So he's, he's likening the, na the Jewish nation to the first fruits, the lump, the root, the original branches. And some of those original branches were broken off due to their unbelief. Then he said, the Gentiles from the wild olive tree, contrary to nature, were grafted in. Now he goes, don't be proud of that. You don't support them. The Jews are supporting you. They were the original work of God. So he's saying, uh, there's, there's still this tremendous hatred of the Jews. You're aware of that, the anti-Semitism. Uh, it goes back to, in Ezekiel chapter 35. Sorry, I think I'm messing here. Ezekiel 35, he calls it an ancient hatred. I'd call it a demonic hatred. It goes all the way back to the first two sons that Abraham had, Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael represents all of the Islam nations, the Arabs, and then Isaac, of course, represents the Jews. And there's been this centuries and centuries of hatred between them. Now, we see it in the Spanish Inquisition. I'm not sure if we know much about this. It lasted over 360 years. Spain was this new world power, and Catholic and Christian believers, and they said, well, we have to uh, uh, do an inquisition against the Jews and try to force them to believe in Christ. It was a very ugly time. Even uh, um, Martin Luther was really against it. He wanted to distance himself from any ill treatment of the Jews. Then you have the German Nazi, Nazi uh, concentration camps. Millions, millions of Jews were, were killed at that time. You have on college campuses today, I'm hearing various reports of there's this a, 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 this stirring up of hatred among the Jewish nation. Have you heard some of the speeches in our, quote, United Nations? A lot of them are against the Jews. Now, what the, pro the point is, God is not done with the Jewish nation. And it's repeated throughout the Old Testament where God says, look, I'm not doing this because of you, Jewish nation. I'm doing it because of my holy name, because I promised to do this. So, let's finish this part of Romans, and then we'll get into that. So, verse 25, I don't want you, I don't desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness, or maybe your Bible says hardness, same idea, in part has happened to Israel. That means some Jews are getting saved, but for many there's been this blindness, this hardening, they're not getting saved. So blindness, is, is it going to last forever? Oh, no, no. 
It's until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So we need to find out what that is. So all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion. And, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So Zion, Jacob, these are terms for Israel. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they're enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they're beloved for the sake of the fathers. Notice verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, referring to the Jewish nation. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so, those who have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they may also obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. Here's the summary. Verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and judgment of God, how unsearchable are his judgments. His ways past finding out. Why do we keep trying? They're past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Let's start breaking this down. It says in verse 25, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery. You go, well, what, what mystery are we talking about? And he's referring specifically, God is not done with the Jews, with the nation of Israel. There's a, a doctrine that says, oh, the church has now replaced the nation of Israel? Don't go for that. It really confuses your end times, which we'll see in just a minute. God's not done. And so... When, when Jesus was describing the end times like I started with, you know, the nation against nation and wars and pestilence, and they go, well, when, when is all this going? What are the signs? You know what he's, first, the first thing he emphasized, not just said, he emphasized, don't be deceived, meaning there's going to be a lot of deception in these end times. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen the disappearing sugar trick. I was just on the mainland a couple weeks ago and I went to a pastor's conference and they have this huge tent with all these different, you know, ministries. And so I'm, I'm going through there and I see an old friend, Dennis Zek. He's come here a number of times. He's a Christian illusionist slash magician slash comedian. And he says, uh, hey, let me show you this trick. Now, this is not a picture of Dennis, but it's a picture of a magician doing the disappearing sugar trick. So you take a packet of sugar and you tear off the top. All right, then you notice in his left hand, he makes a fist. And he pours the packet of sugar into that fist. All right, throws it away. Then with his, with his right finger, he, his thumb, he just jams it and jams it and just talking to you the whole time and jams it. And then uh, as you're walking, I'm two feet away. Now I'm paying attention. And then all of a sudden he just goes like this and there's nothing in his hand. And as he's talking, then on the other hand, he starts pouring out the sugar. And I'm just, how did you do that? He showed me later on. I could never do it, but he showed it to me. But he, he asked me this question. Did you know you were being deceived? No, I was looking right at you. I was convinced I'm tracking with you. So when they asked Jesus, when will these things happen? The first thing he said, don't be deceived. 
there's going to be all kinds of lying signs and wonders. Don't be deceived. There's going to be people coming around saying, oh, no, Christ, just follow me. Don't be deceived. So in Romans, again, we're told not only don't be deceived, but now it's don't be ignorant. You've got to be up on your end times. So a hardening in part or uh, a blindness in part until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. So what does that mean? We believe the fullness of the Gentiles is an obvious reference to the rapture of the church. When God says, I am coming back for my church to receive into myself that where I am, you actually, I'm quoting from John 14, where Jesus, remember I just had the last supper, he's on the way to pray, and then eventually get arrested and cru crucified. And he had just given him this crazy commandment. You guys need to love each other. Oh, man. <laughs> I got to love Peter. Are you kidding? It's, it's more than that. It's a new commitment. The way I loved you. That's how you love. Wow. So <laughs> they're obviously down. And at that point, he goes, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it wasn't so, I wouldn't tell you. But I go there to prepare a place for you. And... When I do, I'm going to come back for you to receive you to myself. That's the rapture. Jesus is talking about that where I am, you will be also. And you know the way that I go. That's when Thomas is going, what in the world? He goes, Lord, he's the only one that speaks up. We don't know where you're going, so we don't know how you're going to get there. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. He said one of the most radical statements in, in all of the Bible I'm the only way to the Father. It's not Buddha. It's not Allah. It's works. It's not giving money. It's Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus talked about the rapture. We have it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I'll quote for you. Because people go, is the word rapture even in the Bible? Uh, not in the English one, but it depends what version you're reading. For instance, years ago, there was a guy named St. Jerome, a very studious guy, and he was asked to, to translate the Bible into Latin. It became known as the Latin Vulgate, the New Testament. Very studious man. So he used this term, he, he read about caught up, and he used the word raptus from which we transliterate rapture. That's how we get the word rapture. It comes from the Latin Vulgate. So here I am in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 13. I don't want you to be ignorant. There's another one. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. So you remember, when he uses the word brethren, that's tone of voice. That's, I love you guys. I want God's best for you. I'm not scolding you. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. Those who have fallen asleep, that's a euphemism for dead. Those who, guys, they stay make already. Those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Meaning a, a Christian funeral is completely different from a non-Christian funeral. We sorrow. We're, we miss this person, but we have hope. Oh, he's with Jesus. He's with Jesus. We know that. So he goes, I, I don't want you to have sorrow like those who don't know the Lord. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So those who died before us will come back with Jesus at the rapture. 
For to this we say to you by word of the Lord. So he, I have, Paul's saying, I have a revelation from God. We who are alive and remain, so if we're still alive when the rapture happens, until the coming of the Lord, will by no means be preceded by those who are asleep. For the Lord himself, now he's going to give us the sequence of events. So if you're following, I'm in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, now in verse 16. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. My son, when he was little, would always pray, and Lord, if your trumpet blasts tonight, I hope I hear it. Yeah. Meaning, what did you do today? <laughs> you messed up, didn't you? Uh, and so the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay, here it is, verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's where he used the word raptus, a catching away, a taking away, and will be with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. When the Lord comes back for the rapture, he doesn't land on the earth. That's the return. That's at least seven years later. The rapture, he comes as far as the clouds. And from there, the angel of the Lord, the shout, the trumpet, and we are gone. We are up, we were caught up together to be with him. That's what we call the rapture. But the verse 18 is one of the best. Do you ever read it? Therefore, comfort one another with these words. When I'm walking right with the Lord, the rapture excites me. The rapture, I mean, I look around at the world today, are you kidding me? This is a mess. The rapture is some of the best news, and I am so comforted. God is in control. God knows exactly what he's doing. His time clock is right on the money, and he's coming back for us when it's time. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. But it starts off with this trumpet blast. Now, I don't know about you. I've talked to people who say, as soon as I hear that trumpet, man, I'm getting right with God. It's too late. At trumpet, and it's, you're gone. And you're going to go, where did everybody go, man? I don't know. Are there clothes falling down? I don't, you know, just piles of clothes everywhere. You know, plane crashes, car crashes, subway crashes. I don't know. I think it's a total mess. But it starts with that trumpet. And those people who think, oh, I'm going to wait for that. You know, my dog listens for certain noises. Lately, we've been out of milk. So we're using, I know, it's, it's, it's not, we can afford it. It's not, <laughs> it's just we're out of it. So we've been using whipped cream in our coffee, in our, our bullet coffee. Our dog listens, and as soon as he, that dog comes, you know, like, like, remember the old annoying bacon commercial? Bacon, bacon, bacon. Whipped cream, you know, just like, and you listen for that sound. I'm listening for a trumpet. Okay, I'm listening for the voice of the archangel. I think it's going to be spectacular, but it's going to be quick. We know that from if you're fast and turning your Bible. 1 Corinthians 15 goes into this even more. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. That's something that was hidden, but now has been unveiled. We're not all going to sleep. We're not all going to die. Remember the euphemism. But we shall be changed in a moment. Here's the phrase, in the twinkling of an eye. At that last trumpet, he's referring to the trumpet again. For the trumpet's going to sound. The dead will be raised incorruptible. He earlier said, they're planted in death like an ugly flower bulb. 
seed. It just looks gross. That's the corruptible. It comes up like this beautiful flower, incorruptible. So it's just an illustration to help us see. In a moment in the twinkling of an eye, uh, verse 52, the last trumpet for the, the uh, trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. That's the rapture. For this corruptible must put on incorrupt, incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So now he's talking about the twinkling of an eye. How fast does that happen? Now you might say, oh man, I'm going to be ready. No, 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 it's be ready now. The twinkling of an eye is a phrase that's used to describe the time it takes a gnat, G-N-A-T, to flap its wings. That's fast. Like, psh. so, did you ever sneeze? And, you know, you, you blink your eyes when you sneeze. I'm not sure you can sneeze without blinking. I don't want you to try it right now, but it'll be hard to... You know, try and just, but say you sneeze, but the idea here is you sneeze or something, you wake up, and you're in heaven. It's the blinking of the eye, just this twinkling of an eye, the bat of a wing of a gnat, and all of a sudden you go, wait, what, what, what happened? Where's, where's the church? Who's the time on the throne? I'm in heaven. It's going to happen that fast. I was coming back on the plane a couple weeks ago, had my laptop open, I'm working on the sermon like a good guy should. And the guy in front of me, I've never seen this record time. Boom! He's, he does his seat back super fast. And it jammed my, I thought he broke my laptop. And I thought, the rapture is going to be faster than that. You know, I didn't hurt him. I didn't cuss. I thought, wow, the rapture is going to be faster than that. The idea is, you're going to blink your eye. And you're going to open them and you're going to be in heaven. Are you ready for that? Billy Graham once said, no man is prepared to live until he's first prepared to die. That's what this is all about. I'm not going suicidal on you guys, okay? But I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I just don't want to suffer in the meantime. You know, let it be quick, like the rapture, okay? But the thing is, not only you blink your eye and you're in heaven, which is crazy to think about, but it also means those left behind, many of your neighbors, family members, friends, co-workers, they're going to be left behind for at least the seven years, seven-year Great Tribulation. Think of that. People that perhaps you've shared with, or you've meant to, or you're going to, as soon, we're gone, and they are now facing the Great tribulation. It's crazy. So if people hear this rapture, <laughs> they think that's stupid. Hey, that's just crazy. It's a joke because it's never happened before. You know what I say? Yeah, that's what they said to Noah when he was building the ark. How long did it take Noah? 120 years. How long were they mocking him? 120 years. Hey, clown, what are you doing? I'm building an ark, God told me. <laughs> Where's the river? It's going to rain. What does that mean? It had never rained. Uh, water's going to fall. Water's, gonna, water's heavier than air. It's not gonna, you can't get up there and then come back down. You're, you're an idiot. What are you doing? You're wasting your life. You could be doing something productive. They laughed at him. They mocked him. 
because it had never rained until that first raindrop came. They were trying to get into the ark and God sealed it. Noah and his family were in, the others were out. So here's how God is not finished with the Jews. Number one, and this is just random stuff. There's many more ways to prove it. There will be 144,000 Jewish evangelists in the book of Revelation chapter 7. It actually lists 12 Jewish tribes, 12,000 Jewish virgin men in each of those 12 tribes. 144,000 become like Billy Graham and they go into the world and share. If, if I think that God's done with Israel, it completely messes up my end times. Now I have to spiritualize all that. That's nonsense. It's 144,000 Jews. We know there's a Jewish temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem. Now we're in Revelation chapter 11. We know that in that temple, the Antichrist will go into the Holy of Holies and erect an image of himself. That's an abomination. And that abomination causes the desolation of the Jews. Their eyes are opened. They had faith in the Antichrist. Now they realize he's, he's not the Messiah. And they flee Jerusalem and at that point turn to Jesus Christ. Now, an earthquake is going to happen in Jerusalem. It's all centered in Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus will return. Remember I said the rapture, he comes to the clouds for the saints. When he returns, he comes to the Mount of Olives. He lands. This is specific stuff. And he comes with the saints. We're with him. He lands on the Mount of Olives. There's an earthquake. Is this specific enough? These are not just broad, vague prophecies. They're very explicit. He, the earthquake happens. He walks across the Kidron Valley into the eastern gate, which has been sealed, just like prophecy said. He will go through that eastern gate and set up his kingdom for a thousand years. And the Jew, this is the key one. It says in Zechariah chapter 12, the Jews will look upon him whom they pierce. At this point, they're going to go, they're going to see Jesus Christ. Let me read some of this from Zechariah. Fantastic prophet. So beginning in verse 12. Well, in verse 10, I will pour on the house of David, that's the Jews, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me whom they pierced. So it's Jesus speaking. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn in the next chapter in verse 6. So they'll say to him, what are these wounds between your arms? What happened to you? And Jesus answers, uh, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. At this point, we see the spirit of grace instead of law, 613 laws we're trying to keep. Now it's grace, now it's supplication, now they're praying to Christ, and we have not seen this yet. It is still future tense. And again, God emphasizes, I'm not doing this for you, nation of Israel. I'm doing it for my holy name because I made a covenant with you and I keep my word. And I'm very thankful he does. Now, in this context about Israel, God says, look, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. I am not turning my back on Israel is what he's saying. 
It's like he's saying, I, I can't give you up. You've turned against me. I can't give you up. Now, in Bible college, I had Dr. Arnold Frutenbaum for years. Anytime he came and offered a class, I, I would do it here in Honolulu. He's the world's leading Israeliologist. So in the, the study of Israel, he's the, the best. And he had this rule, and we'd always rehearse as we're going to study the Bible. He says, when common sense makes perfect sense, seek no other sense. And the common sense here is that God is not done with Israel. I don't have to seek any, try to spiritualize everything and make this fit and that fit. And, no, God is not done with Israel. It's very simple. So again, the fullness of time is the rapture of the church. What happens then? Look at this. You probably heard this before. Jesus fulfilled over 300 promises or prophecies the first time he came. Have you seen this one? There are eight times more prophecies regarding his return. Eight times as many. It's all through the book. Now, here's how it's going to work. It says the fullness of time. So that likes the, the last Gentile to get saved. And if it's you, I wish you'd get right with God today. So it's like going to Disneyland and, and say they have this big reward for the five millionth person to enter the gates and, and you go through, you know, then you finally pay that gazillion dollars for your entrance fee and you walk in and they go, ah, oh, you're the five millionth visitor and the balloons come down and the party starts because you made it, you fulfilled the number. The idea here is one Gentile is the last one to get saved and let's, the five millionth or the five gazillionth, whatever it is, when that happens, we're out of here. It's done. It's fulfilled. And then the party starts. We believe, I believe at that point, to the wedding feast in heaven. While down here, seven years of great tribulation. Now, nothing needs to happen before the rapture. Nothing. Right now, a few months ago I shared this in like, August, September, all of a sudden everything's Christmas in Costco. And Chuck Smith would always go, he'd see the Christmas thing, go, oh, great, Thanksgiving's coming. And his wife said, these are signs for Christmas. He goes, I know, but Thanksgiving's first. You see, the signs are not for the rapture. The signs are for the return of Christ. The rapture happens first. So let's be ready. Now, after the rapture, so the fullness of Gentiles comes in. We're gone. After the rapture, God will again turn his main focus on the nation Israel. All right? We're gone. Back to them. There's to be this seven-year great tribulation. The rapture of the church does not necessarily start the seven-year tribulation. It used to be taught that way for years. But if you read Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, it's clear that the Antichrist has this peace agreement signed between the Jews and the Arabs. They come together, let's sign a seven-year peace treaty. But that seven-year peace treaty becomes seven years of great tribulation. Horrible stuff. Crazy stuff. Just read the book of Revelation. So, then he goes, wait a minute, how is this thing, <laughs> out of nowhere, he goes, thus all of Israel will be saved. That trips up a lot of people. That's in Romans 11. 
But you have to go back to Romans 2. So in Romans 2, verses 28 and 29, Paul had earlier said, you're not a Jew just because you were born in Israel. It's not on the outside. It, it's a Jew on the inside who really believes in Christ, who really believes God's promises. So he's already laid that one. A Jew is not just born in Israel. And so he says, now all those Jews, all those believing Jews will be saved when? When I take away their sins. Now we're going back to Zechariah. Hey, how come you're all bust up? What happened? How come you... What's up with the wounds? Oh, I got it in the house of my friends, the Jewish nation. A place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. Yeah, it's right outside the city. I did it for you. So, for this reason, he closes this. I have this covenant, and that's when I'll take away their sins. And in in context of that is because the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable, he started with the Jews. He has not forsaken them. He will turn his attention back to them. He, it's as if he's saying, I just can't let you go. I, I love this God. What a God of compassion, God of love. You know, for those who say, well, how could a God of love stop? Well, why don't you say, how could a God of love allow his son to die on a cross? How could a God of love allow his son to be born in that manger, that stinky, filthy place? How could a God of love allow his son to have the, the thorns beaten in his head? And how could a God, that's what you say. But if you have this, oh man, how could a God of love allow me to trip up my toe? And it all works together for the good. So, the remainder of chapter 11 just talks about how good, how smart, how powerful our God is. That's why he closes with that, for of him and through him and through him. Just, let me read something I read in devotions. Um, where did I read it? Psalm 147. He heals the brokenhearted. That's such good news. If you're here this morning, you go, life stinks. I got burned. I'm hurt. I've been hurting for three years. He heals the broken. It's, it's his promise, not mine. Psalm 147 goes on. This is verse 3. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. He counts the number of stars and he calls them by name. There's a gazillion stars. He knows each one by name. I think he knows you by name. I think he knows what you're going through. Calls them by name. Great is our God, mighty in power. His understanding is infinite, and that's why he closes this chapter. <laughs> of him and to him and through his own for him. God knows what he's doing. He's all-powerful. He's promised it. He will fulfill his promise. He has not turned his back on the nation Israel. We are soon to be out of here. I don't want to get rebuked by Jesus. Remember we started with this? How are they rebuked? You're slow of heart. Foolish ones, you're slow of heart to believe everything written by the prophets. Okay, so what do I do? Peter, in 2 Peter, he's dealing with the same subject. And he goes, so what, what do I do? Uh, number one, 
he says in 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, you want to live in holy conduct. I, I think to hear all this stuff and still take your chances messing with sin, that's foolish. That's foolish. I, I'm talking about that deliberate, willful heart that's against what God, you, you sense the Holy Spirit saying, it's time to get right, it's time to get right. I don't care, I'm doing this. It's my life. Jesus would rebuke you. Say, oh, you foolish one. Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have written. Now's the time to get right. Then he goes on. We should be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. I remember before Karen and I were married, Pastor Chuck Smith would fly in at least once a year, a couple times, just, and he would share. Now, this is in the 70s, and we'd look at each other. We don't have time to get married. We'll never be married. So we were married that year, and the next year he comes back, and he'd share again. And we'd turn to, we'll never have kids. We just don't have time to have kids. Now we have grandkids. But the urgency was so there that I wanted to be ready any, any time, any moment. I want to be ready. And I'm telling you, I am living my life right now. I'm not perfect. I mess up. I believe I'm ready. I hope I'm not making a prediction of what's going to happen today, but I think I'm ready. That sneeze and not, what? Well, here I am. Are you? You want to be ready? You want to be, oh, I, I, you know, back to me and Karen, we go, oh, Lord, I know you're coming back. Could you just wait till we get married? Then it was, could you just wait till we have kids? Could you just wait till we have this vacation? Instead of, Lord, <laughs> heaven is so much better than this. I am ready. I am ready. I want to be hastening the coming of the day of God. So many folks now, Jesus said, when you see these things, look up for your redemption, meaning I'm coming soon. When you see these things begin to happen, what, the signs for Christmas, because Thanksgiving's first, the signs for the second coming, meaning the rapture's first, look up. It's going to be near. I think today people are looking now for the news. Now there's a new variant of COVID-19, uh, the Omicron. And it's just, uh, just, you turn on the news, I'm sorry. You turn on the news, to me it's bad news. They ought to rename the TV news, it's bad news. And sorry, we have a newscaster in our midst, so you're good news, but the rest. See, we have the good news, this is good news. This is good news, but I tell you, there's believers who are caught up and fascinated and scared of what was going on out there when the message is, are you kidding? We have the King of Kings. He loves us. He's committed to us. He's coming back for us. Are you ready? Oh, no, I've got to read about what? I'm ready. I'm ready. That's the whole idea here. I'm looking up. Jesus said to you. And I like that verse 18. Comfort one another with these words. The Bible doesn't say, freak out everybody with the news about the rapture. It's like comfort is, hey, soon and very soon, Andre Crouch used to sing, we're out of here. Have you ever surrendered to Christ? I mean, I suspect some of you have. Don't get me wrong. 
my wife, I think. But uh, you ever surrender to Christ? You, you ever wonder what will it take? I mean, I kind of, there's a lot of people who are fascinated with end times talk, but they don't do the end times action. What would it take? We already said there's more than 300 prophecies. Some of them. What's just a sprinkling of them? How about he was born in Bethlehem? Could have been born in Jerusalem. That was like the New York City of its time. No, 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 Bethlehem. Just about seven, 8,000 people. Um, he's going to flee to Egypt, and then he's going to grow up in Nazareth. Well, that's kind of specific to me. He didn't say he's going to flee to the Sudan and then grow up uh, somewhere else, you know, in Italy. No, it's very specific towns. And then it says, well, he's going to be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Not if he was sold for 29 pieces of silver, he's not the Messiah. I don't care if he dies or not. He's just not. If he's sold for 31 pieces of silver, he's not the guy. Doesn't check off that important prophecy, but he was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Wow, what a curious number. How about this one? Not a bone of his body was broken on the cross. When you know they'd come along and break their legs so that they'd die quicker. He, was di he died among thieves, one on each side. They, they cast lots for his clothing. They, he was buried in a rich man's tomb. How many prophecies does it take before you go, my goodness, I need to submit to this guy. I need to surrender to him because this is what you're doing. When you surrender to Christ, he basically says this promise. This is my covenant to them. Take away your sins. Meaning, I just can't give up on you. I trust this past week has been a time when you have sensed the nearness of his presence. You've sensed what it might have been the best Thanksgiving you ever had, the best week, and you go, wow, I sensed him. But if you've been resisting him and running from, I, I pray this past week has been a time of, man, I just feel like he's, you know, pulling me in. That's what he does. He says, with, law, with, with ropes of loving kindness in Jeremiah the prophet. He's kind of pull you in. And what he wants to do is forgive you of sin as you repent. Now is not a time to dive into the cesspool of sin. What he wants to do is restore, renew your mind, restore your body and heal and, and then use you in a way that touches lives for all of eternity. Sounds like a good deal to me.